Welcome everyone to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 117, recording this on the 11th of November 2014. I'm Steve Litchfield. With me, I have Rafe Blanford. Hello, everybody. And we have news of an exciting device I got my hands on this week. Rafe, it's yellow. It's a rival to the Lumia 1020, and you may have seen my write-up on the site. I'm just trying to think what this device could possibly be. I, <laughs> I suspect you? it's one of these clone devices. <laughs> Yes, I was trolling the entire site ba- user base and hoping you wouldn't tell me off about it. But uh, I, I, I was in a family home and somebody said, oh, I've just got picked this up down the market, essentially. And it, it looked like a Lumia 1020. I couldn't believe it. They said they bought it for £7. <laughs> and it turns out it's a complete clone of the 1020, right down to a Windows phone skin. But it, it's really slow, really under underpowered, and it runs Android 4.1. And it's, I just thought it was worth a, a few and, and photos. It seven, seven quid from the market. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you can get them if you really, really look hard on eBay, but I wouldn't recommend it. It is a complete pile of rubbish, as you might expect at that price. And uh, it just shows the amount of clones out there running Android. And I just, just one point, Rafe, you're a, you're a Mr. An- analyst here, but uh, we hear stats like Android has well, 80% of the world's smartphone market share. How much of that 80% are devices like these, which technically, technically run Android, technically log into Google services, technically... Uh, log into the Play Store and download apps, but are complete and utter trash. Well, I think it, it's difficult to put a number on those because, of course, these companies don't tend to report shipments and there isn't any easy way to distinguish them from other devices unless you're getting right into the logs. But I suspect, actually, the, the, the sort of really cheap Android devices, which are typically imported from China and they're built using off-the-shelf components, are probably more substantial than a lot of people realise. Of course, when it actually comes down to it, they aren't used for very much mainly because the experience is uh, so poor. But one of the increasing uh, things that people have been talking about in the Android world, at least, particularly with regard to the China market, is there's a lot of devices that are running um, Android open source project as opposed to kind of Android with Google bits. And in effect, they're almost operating as two separate platforms, especially as Google is putting more bits of its its software sort of into its own applications. And there are things like Google Play services. And the stuff that you get with Google component is an ever more substantial part of the platform. Uh, and so I wouldn't quite so go for, as far as to say they're different platforms, but certainly there's a very significant fragmentation between the two in terms of things like version. I mean, it's much like you get the different version of Android on the Kindle Fire devices. And uh, some of these uh, cheap clone devices will run Android open source projects. Some will try and run the with Google uh, version. They actually tend to be the slightly more expensive ones. Um, this is the, the one we refer to in the story here is probably a hack around that actually is running some Google apps, but isn't officially with Google because that requires <laughs> yeah. a certain amount of certification, <laughs> testing uh, and costs. But yes, you're absolutely right to identify this. It's, it is a, at least a significant portion of Android devices. It varies from market to market, most significant in places like China and to a lesser extent India. Here in the UK, the vast majority of the devices, um, and you're, you're right, it's depending on the, the figures you look at, it's between 70 and 75% um, market share in the UK. Um, it's probably nearer the, the 70% at the moment with uh, Windows Phone on about 10% and uh iOS somewhere under 20%. All of those ten in the UK at least tend to be official Google devices. But of course, there are some people importing them. And there are, as you found out, some that you can down, you know, go and buy down the local market. And I suspect we will see more of those. I mean, it's kind of inevitable as the commoditization of hardware happens to a greater and greater extent. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, more seriously on the device front, we have the launch of the Lumia 535, of which more in a moment, but just as a tease there, a few other brief news stories I wanted to mention features. Um, first of all, I did an interview, uh, Rafe, with Damien Dinning, ex-head of imaging at Nokia, who now, now works at Jaguar. And I guess after a year or so away from Nokia, he felt free enough to speak to a certain degree. And uh, uh, did you have a chance to listen to the sort of hour-long podcast? I haven't had a chance to go all the way through it. I just had a little taster, but uh, you did hear about some of the kind of the stories from the past. But I was wondering if you would like to pick out a few particular highlights or sort of, you know, even if it's anecdotal stuff, because I mean, after all, Damien Dinning, um, with uh, admittedly a very big team, I think it's probably fair to say Damien was always um, very self-effacing about the fact that he was just the person who happened to be the public spokesperson. There was a big team. Nonetheless, you know, he was one of the team behind devices like N73, the N90, kind of that, that, the first of the really great camera phone devices, the N93, and of course the N95, the N82, the N86, all of those specialist camera devices, right up to the 808 PureView and of course the Lumia 1020, which we referred to a moment ago. And it was both in the hardware side and on, on the software side. So I guess um, my, my question to you, Steve, would be, were there any particular highlights that stood out from your hour-long chat with him? Uh, well, the first thing I'd say is that it's just you mentioned quite a few devices there. It's the, the sheer amount of devices he was involved in the imaging for. He was going right back to things like the 6680. And we, this has been a window, wow. Windows Phone podcast. We really shouldn't dwell on these old <laughs> ancient Symbian devices. But it was the number of devices he was involved in the imaging on runs, I think, into the 20s, which is pretty darn impressive. And, of course, ending up with the Lumia 1020, which he actually uh, still has that as his main device. And we so the 220, our two 1020s were on the table together, and we had a good oh. Old, how sweet <laughs> good old 41 megapixel fest and the other thing i'd say is that uh, it's still noticeable that uh, even a year after leaving nokia there's all sorts of things he he felt he he, he couldn't talk about um, i don't think he was necessarily under any kind of legal um, non-disclosure agreement after all this time and some of these projects and code names he was um, plucking out and thinking well i shouldn't really mention that code name these were devices from 11 or 12 years ago so um, it's quite, quite impressive, really, that the, the amount he's got inside his head. And we just we tried to get as much out as possible in the podcast, but didn't quite manage to uh, grill him too much. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the things that people don't don't really appreciate um, about the devices that make it to the public. There are quite a few that never get released. They only uh, exist in the prototype or the planning stage. Um, I've seen over the years various bits of documentation that talk about uh, products that never made it and particularly in the n series well uh, a couple of devices that stand out in the mind that had the kind of a form factor a bit like the e61 but instead of having a qwerty keyboard just had a kind of uh, 12 key keyboard and then multimedia controls and there were various sort of uh, i think the, the code names were uh pager around that form factor and then some fairly funky things with screens at different angles to the keyboard um and while i you know it's difficult to pull out all of those because we they never get officially announced. And um, there's certainly roadmaps floating around where you can see devices that never never saw the light of day, at least in public. And I'm sure the same is true of the imaging side. Um, yeah. Of course, on the imaging side, what's perhaps not so obvious when you look at the devices is it, they do tend to go in families. And so the camera modules do get reused. I mean, that's become more obvious recently with uh, things like the 1520 and the 930, for example. Uh, but that's always kind of been the case. I mean, the 6680 was another one of those, and the N95 module got reused in uh, a number of devices. It used to be more obvious in, in the mid-tier, 
um, and things like the EDOF camera on the E51 and the E52 and a couple of other devices. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on having a long listen to that and I'm sure there'll be lots of questions uh, coming at it. So we might revisit that in a, a future podcast. Yes, he was mentioning that quite a few of the things we've taken for granted in the Windows Phone world, kind of not core imaging things, things like refocus and cinemagraph were essentially his idea. And he was um, saying that he had several other ideas which he passed on to the team, you are and the guys, um, of which some are now coming to fruition and things like dynamic flash and uh, is it rich rich capture. Yeah. And he's got other ideas which still haven't been announced yet. So uh, we, there's quite a lot in the pipeline, it seems. And uh, I'm, we, as we're seeing today with um, the launch of the 535, which we'll come to in a moment, there, there are still some serious engineering minds there at uh, now working for not Microsoft, of course. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing you have to think about for something like imaging, especially on the hardware side, it's going to take three or four years and even longer in some cases. I mean, the 808 and the 1020 are kind of a case in point with the oversampling. You know, that, that, that has a history going back five years. And so the genesis of an idea may take a long time to come to the market. I mean, it is true of other hardware errors. And sometimes the software isn't quite capable yet or it hasn't got to a level that's suitable for public release. And so I have absolutely no doubt at all that some of the early concepts that uh, Damien would have worked on will emerge in the next few years. And absolutely, there's still a very strong imaging team. I mean, they've since had other departures um, to Apple and a couple of other companies as well. But there's still, you know, uh, a trio of people at the top of that imaging team. And actually, there's more than that. I mean, it doesn't always get acknowledged. There's actually quite a large imaging team um, split between, I think it's now Tampere and uh, Lund in Sweden. But I know there are specialists in various parts of the world as well. And, you know, they're still very much active in developing things. And if anything from that interview, I think, comes out is just how long Nokia, and obviously it's now been inherited by Microsoft, have been working on imaging and that kind of expertise. I think it's fair to say it breeds its own success in the sense that you establish an expertise and it then becomes a production line of new things. And that's the sort of thing that's very hard to replicate for other companies. You can't just come in and copy it. And uh, Nokia, now Microsoft, has a particular way of looking at things, which I think is a little different to some of the other companies. We've seen uh, HTC, for example, take a slightly different approach with imaging. We're seeing, you know, Samsung and Apple work very hard on imaging. And, and Apple, I think, has had kind of a different set of ethos. It's been more around the performance and social camera. And I think arguably, in some ways, was the more mass market approach and perhaps the sensible thing to do when you've just got a single device or at least a, a couple of devices now in the case of the iPhone. But um, Nokia, and I guess we should call it Microsoft Imaging's approach now, has been far more holistic for a long time in the sense that it's always looked to take a, a wider viewpoint. And that's resulted in some really great ideas. But uh, it does, does it perhaps be lacking in focus sometimes perhaps um, but nonetheless i think you, you you point to all of the camera phone imaging innovations and the vast majority of them have come out of you know, that team in the last decade and that's a truly impressive achievement yeah yeah so do go and listen to that uh, interview with damon Dinning if you haven't already people listening to this sorry for breaking up the run of uh, steve and rave specials we have a steve and damien special and it's just <laughs> published in the normal podcast feed which i felt was the right thing to do just to make sure people had a chance to listen to it if you're not in particularly interested in smartphone imaging then maybe just give it a miss and switch to the one you're listening to now which i guess is self-referential so let's move on um i did put up a small feature rave which has already been stamped on by people saying they want more i'm looking trying to pick a winner of the current Twitter clients for Windows Phone. Now, the complication is 
the, the stuff we used to use, um, Rowey, I think it was, and Mado, they've either reached their Twitter token limit. limit. Uh, Twitter limits all clients to 100,000 users or less. Um, and or have been withdrawn by the developers for other reasons. So the two, perhaps I would have gone to first, have both been withdrawn from the Windows Phone store. Um, Twabit was actually withdrawn, as I, I recall, and I wasn't available when I started writing the feature and then became available again. So I'll have to include that in the next version of the feature. But I was looking at Peregrine, MeTweets, and, of course, the first-party Twitter client, trying to pick a winner. They each have their pros and cons, but I came down on the side of uh, Peregrine, which, much to my great surprise, was the only one capable of updating its timelines in the background, i.e. using a proper Windows Phone background agent, such that when you switch back to the uh, client, for example, using the multitasking carousel, a double t- tap on the uh, any, any of the top of the, the timelines, mentions, or messages, and you're immediately up to date to within the refresh rate of the background agent, which is about 20 minutes. Whereas the other clients, um, Twitter and MeTweets, you you basically had to drag down and wait for a refresh, which was a tiny bit tiresome. So my vote went to Peregrine, despite it being perhaps the most bare-boned of three. So what about you? What did you think of the feature, and what's your favorite Twitter client on Windows Phone? I have to admit that I've switched back to using the official Twitter client, having gone through uh, various third-party options. Uh, I I did like uh, Rory very much. That was kind of my go-to client. But having switched through various devices, that's kind of uh, gone in one of the shuffles. Uh, I suspect I've still got it and sort of working on an older device. But I, I am tempted now to go and try Peregrine, just as you say, for that kind of streaming support and the ability to kind of have something happening in the background. Of course, there's a battery and a resource hit on that. But uh, uh, to be honest, uh, uh, the big difference for me in terms of Twitter usage has been on Windows Phone 8.1 and having the notifications integrated into kind of the drop down uh, pull from the top of the screen, which means I'm actually aware of new tweets coming in in terms of mentions and things I've set up notifications for. And that to me was a bigger change in my Twitter usage on Windows Phone. And it tends to be, I, I honestly use Twitter more as a distraction when I've sort of just got a few seconds and want to read through a bit of content. I, I tend not to sort of be always on it. That, that It changes depending on what I'm doing, but um, it, it's interesting to see so many comments. It's obviously a hot topic um, in the Windows Phone world, which Twitter client you go to, and it's interesting to see that um, a lot of people are using the default client, but it's a surprising number also having a view on which third-party one uh, is good. And yes, you know, a few comments on the background processing on Windows Phone as well. Um, and as always, people coming up with other suggestions that you've uh, not deliberately missed in the Twitter roundup. It's just there are so many apps, it's sometimes hard to keep track of uh, what's available. But uh, I guess that's a long-winded way of saying I'm just using the basic, boring, classic official Twitter app, which kind of been forced onto on pretty much all the platforms I'm on, uh, partly because it's consistent across those platforms and partly because, of course, Twitter hasn't exactly been embracing of third-party clients in general. Yeah. Uh, one of the uh, clients that was suggested in the comments was Tweetium, which is actually still in a closed beta, um, but you can get access to it if you know the link. And I have got it installed and it works really, really well. It, it too has issues with background updating though, so I'll be um, keeping my eye on that. And as soon as it becomes publicly available, I'll be doing a version two of the feature 
um, basically taking the existing table, adding to it, adding extra clients, adding extra comment. And so do look out for that probably in the next couple of weeks, hopefully, if that comes out of beta. And I will add it to Abbott at the same time, which means it'll be a five-way shootout. And you can tell where this is going, Rafe, because I started in this way with my podcatcher roundup. <laughs> and that's, that was the last guy. It was at six, 15 or 16 clients and completely unmanageable. I actually had to split it across two features of 4,000 words each. So I'm just hoping this doesn't grow to quite the same Leviathan. It's probably worth mentioning, uh, as you've just uh, mentioned, the, the podcast that I think it's uh, Podcast Lounge uh, has been updated with some new features. I know you've been using that, so maybe just share what's in that update. Uh, there were two big things for me. Um, well, one I should just mention because I was a, a favour of the developer because he just um, signed on board, as it were, with this thing called Podlove, which is a new, completely new technology. That the idea is to link up a buttons on web pages with specific subscriptions in in clients. So. If enough web pages which host podcasts support it, if enough podcatchers on most as many platforms as possible support it, in theory, that Mr. and Mrs. Normal could just click on a button on a web page and be subscribed in their favorite podcatcher to that feed. So that's the aim. It's worth having a look at. We've put links to Podlove in the story, and Podcast Lounge is the first podcatcher that I know of that supports that. So well done to the both developers. Um, second thing is that uh, something I've been asking. Uh, uh, Richard Castle, the developer of Podcast Lounge for a while, is that when you um, do the uh, auto-generated um, playlists, for example, what's new yesterday and today or what's new in the last week, um, it, it tries to get the very latest information and goes online to get them. And I'm saying, look, it's, it's the background agent in, in Podcast Lounge is already doing the refreshing of the RSS feeds while it's charging overnight, etc. Just provide an option to generate these playlists really quickly from the RSS feeds and the podcast feed you've already got. That should be much, much faster. And I think he's now put a load of optimization along those lines in. And uh, so I've only been testing it for one day because that's how long the update's been out. But the aim is to that you can go into those smart playlists and have them generate within a second or two, which would be a great improvement. But enough teasing on with the main event, which I guess is uh, the launch of a brand new device. It doesn't often happen in the Windows <laughs> phone world in 2014. The last ones were the 830 and the 735, of course. Uh, the 535, this is a different, a difficult one, uh, Rafe, to pitch it um, in terms of where it fits in. Now, the 530 was obviously a small budget phone. This is a large budget phone. And in some, some ways, it almost steps on the 735's territory. It certainly supersedes things like the 625 by having a larger screen uh, and yet similar or better performance, certainly a be better front-facing camera. I mean, we can, we'll go through the specifications specifications in a moment, but essentially it's a 5-inch screen device, Snapdragon 200, that I think will surprise most people who see it on shop shelves because they will look at the look at it with the five inch screen uh, and they will see the price, which will be something in the region of one hundred and thirty pounds, one hundred and forty on SIM free, maybe ninety nine pounds on pay as you go, and fifteen pound a month on contract. And then right next to it on the shelf will be the five inch and you know, a Galaxy S five and the the Moto X devices like that, which are three or four times the price. And they'll say, hang on a minute. Why is this four, three or four times cheaper? And I think they'll be pleasantly surprised if they actually manage to get a demo and see how fast and fluid Windows Phone is on the 535. Yeah, I think that that's right. I mean, as you said, it's got a, a bigger screen than the 625. And just as we talked about the kind of various other phones being updates for things maybe outside their obvious class number, I do think this looks to me like an update to the 625 into the kind of the Windows Phone 8.1 family devices, you know, the Snapdragon 200 initially rather than a, a 400. But in terms of both the design, what it's got in it, I think it's really interesting. 
Um, but it's also a significant improvement over the 530 in some ways, if you look at the internals, which we'll maybe go through in a minute. It's also kind of following the design language of the most recent set of devices, you know, orange and green and then uh, black in terms of color options. Um, it's not going to be of immediate interest maybe to people listening to this podcast, but it is really important to have a really great uh, low-end value device in terms of everything it's got. And I want, we'll, we'll talk about the specifications in a minute, just trying to talk about the positioning. But uh, as you said there, it is kind of the first Lumia device ever to not have the Nokia branding on it. It has Microsoft written along the top of the device and then Microsoft plus the Microsoft logo on the back of the device. So that's what we kind of alluded to at the beginning of this podcast, significant as piece of history in a way. And I guess there's a, a tear in the corner of my eye to say goodbye to the, the Nokia branding. It's going to be a bit confusing while both sets of devices on the market because we're going to have some Nokia branded Lumia devices and some Microsoft Lumia branded devices. But I guess it's going to take uh, a few years or so for that to go away once all the current devices are kind of sorted out. And it will be Microsoft Lumia from now on, um, kind of a, a page in history. It's also interesting to see Microsoft talking about this as a, a five by five by five smartphone package. That's a reference to the five inch screen. Um, and that is, as I said, bigger than the 625, which had a, a 4.7 inch screen, I think. But it's, it is actually the same as something like the 830 or the 730, 735. The other five is a five megapixel uh, camera, and it's also got a five megapixel rear facing camera. And then it's also got, um, the kind of five Microsoft services that get talked about. And it thinks, <laughs> I can't remember the exact five it's referring to, but it thinks like Skype, OneNote, Xbox, and Office. I mean, it feels a slightly forced five by five by five, um, but uh, fine if that's how you want to talk about it in, in marketing speak. I'm um, interesting that it's a, a 3G device and there is going to be a dual SIM option as well. And it's running Lumia Denim and Windows Phone 8.1. So right up to date in that sense. And so to me, it actually feels like a really nice compliment to the uh, 730 and the 830. And if anything, it leaves the 530 and the 630 just looking maybe a bit aged. And the 630 may be slightly different because it's a slightly different offering. And the 530, again, it's that slightly smaller size, but really nice entry into the low end. And as you said, you know, put this on the shop shelf against other devices, especially as it's, it's been slimmed down a bit. It's a bit like the 625 in that it's actually slimmer than you might expect for a, a low-end device. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, maybe we should go through the specs a little bit and just actually make some yeah. comparisons directly to the 535 because it is slightly more expensive in terms of the announcement pricing. I think there's something like $10, $10 or €10 Euros in it, um, which admittedly is quite a bit when we're talking about a device that's only at the €115 Euro point or so. Um you know, it's maybe five to ten percent of the cost, but I actually think what they put in it makes that well worthwhile. The extra five or ten dollars. Sometimes you wonder about it. This type, this type of device. But um, I mean, do you want to kick things off, Steve? Yeah, yeah. But before we go into the spec, just to mention, you forgot to mention, there's now a Cyan version by popular demand. They brought Cyan back. That's right. Well, please a lot of people. But <laughs> this obviously is running Lumia Denim, and it's a. Uh, you can kind of think of it as an upgraded 530 or a, a, a cheaper sister to the 830, if you like, in different materials. Um, nine mil thin, as you said, as Snapdragon 200, one gig of RAM. It's, it's kind of the the baseline 2014 Windows Phone architecture and, and set of specifications that they know works well, as opposed to the ultra budget with half half a gigabyte of RAM, which they know will struggle with some games. Here you've got enough RAM to run all the applications, all the games. 1.2 gigahertz doesn't say much in the, from the Android world, but in Windows Phone, it's absolutely fine. Um, the five-inch screen is important because 
as I said earlier, it means that it is competitive with the other f- phones that people might be aspiring to elsewhere on the shop shelves. Um, 540 by 960, that's QHD, that's lowercase QHD, I should emphasize. Um, it, it doesn't sound like very much. I think the PPI works out as something like 230, 240. But let's be honest, apart, w- away from the geek bleeding edge, I think QHD, even at that, that size, is absolutely fine for Mr. and Mrs. Normob in the high street. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I mean, the other thing is there's sort of the screen appears to be of higher quality until we get our hands on one. We can't be absolutely sure about this. But I mean, for example, it does have the sunlight readability enhancements. It's uh, protected by calling Gorilla Glass 3 as opposed to kind of the, the plastics or the sort of lower quality glass. I think it was in the 530. I'd have to check that out. And it does have things like the uh, high brightness mode as well. That's actually also reflected in some of the sensors that are in the device. So it has an ambient light sensor. So compared to the 530, for example, it's going to be able to do auto brightness adjustment on the screen and the 530 screen to me really was disappointing i mean probably not surprising in a device at at that cost level um but the 535 is the screen i think is probably the most significant upgrade when you're first looking at the device and there's also some other uh, sensors in there in terms of proximity sensor things like that the camera is actually better because it's auto focus rather than fixed focus Uh, it's obviously got a front-facing camera which the 530 didn't have um, and I think also significant in memory terms is the internal storage. It's up to eight gigabytes uh, rather than the four gigabytes on the, the 530. And that just means I would say it's usable without having to buy a micro SD card. I mean, you are going to be a bit limited in what you can do. The battery capacity is bigger. It's up from 1430 to 19, uh, 1905, I think, on the 535. So there's actually upgrades right across the board that certainly reflect good value for money given that this is coming out what six months later really than the the 530 you're actually getting a lot of extra value in this device for not a lot of extra money i mean i suppose it speaks towards how component costs and things like that come down um, but i would also say just the the styling of it in terms of the size you know we've mentioned the thickness 8.8 millimeters that compares to 11.7 millimeters on the 530 so you can see it's not quite a, a quarter but it's getting getting that way um it is significantly heavy heavier mainly because it's got the bigger battery in it and it's obviously a, a bigger device overall but i really like the improvements made here and i think we were quite critical of the 530 for probably cutting too much and we were perhaps went too far with that given that it was a low cost device but when you look at this 535 there's very very little you can pick out to complain about for a budget device in fact i think it corrects a lot of the things that were wrong in inverted commas with the 530 and i kind of have to admit i would like to see an updated 530 maintaining the four inch screen size that you get on the 530 but with the other hardware improvements in it uh we may see that in due course, but uh, 535 is probably yeah. calling towards that trend for large screens. I mean, five inches does seem to be coming the kind of accepted standard these days on, on smartphones, be it low end or high yeah. end. Yeah, I did mention in, in my headline, in fact, that I think this hits the low end sweet spot. I think they've got the specifications exactly right. Yes, that part of me thinks, well, they, maybe they could have squeezed LTE in there, but then the LTE uh, chipsets, they, they do obviously cost money at this stage in 2014. Um, there's the there's no clear black display, but then again, you've got the sunlight read, readability, you've got the high brightness mode. Maybe they'll compensate for the lack of CBD. And again, look at the price point. The fact they've got the same um, front camera 
as the uh, as the 735, which was, you know, that the 735s was all about, if you read Nokia's marketing or Microsoft's marketing, was all about the selfie camera. And he's got the same front camera. So in theory, you can get the same results. And, you know, Lumia Selfie, the, that application will produce just as good results and will attract people. The rear camera is slightly smaller than the 735s, but we know that Nokia make good cameras, even at uh, one over four-inch optical format, a five megapixel, that's going to be a pretty decent camera. Um, video... Is it full wide VGA rather than 720p? But then the screen is not 720p either. So you're not necessarily going to notice any kind of degradation. You're going to view videos on the screen and it will almost be up to screen resolution. So I think they really have hit a sweet spot. I agree. Yeah. And I mean, that video is really about the Snapdragon 200 processor that's in there. You know, uh, a lot of the time you won't notice it on, on Windows Phone or rather it will be relatively small difference between that and a 400 or an 800 um, video because it's such an intensive process to encode or decode video you know that that does have a an impact so it's interesting that you know, that's kind of a visible thing there having used some of the snapdragon 200 devices including the 530 uh, it, it surprises me that there's not a bigger difference particularly when you kind of reference the android world whereas you kind of hit it at early 1.2 gigahertz even on a quad core device like the snapdragon 200 would not appear to be enough that's the advantage that Windows Phone has in this space. And uh, we do have to come back to the pricing, 110 euros before local taxes. I say that is a little more expensive than the uh, 530, if my memory is serving me correctly. But you know, that means it's effectively going to be, well, I mean, even with a direct translation, it's going to be about £110, um, including including taxes. So with that, by the time it writes, which I mean, think means on pairs you go, we can expect this to hit the market at maybe even the sort of seventy or sixty pound price point. Given that wow. the uh, you know the five five thirty itself came in at forty nine ninety five in, in some places. Now that's specific to the UK. Even elsewhere, it's it's going to be around that hundred euro, hundred dollar uh, magic price point. Um, of course, you'll be able to get cheaper phones, and it wouldn't surprise me entirely if sooner or later we see. Uh, a Lumia 330 or 335 that is really rock bottom. Um, but for most people, this is going to be a really great entry level Windows phone device. And I, I find myself getting much more enthusiastic about this than I did about the 530, which just felt like it, it cut a little bit too much, but it also sort of t tells me how the smartphone market moves so quickly that, you know, you have a model that as it was announced earlier this year in the, in the form of the 530, which really does feel out of date. And it's been left out of date by kind of moving component prices and things like that. You know, it's, it's not just that Microsoft is offering a better value device. They're able to do that because presumably the cost of putting these extras in, you know, four gigabytes of internal memory, an extra bit of RAM, a better screen. That's definitely more than the extra uh, price point that this is charging. So, it kind of just reminds me how fast the smartphone markets move, and particularly for the lower end and mid tier devices, actually having devices or your family devices updated once a year, which has kind of been the traditional thing, isn't going to be enough anymore. And so, uh, quite how the numbering works, I, d I don't know, but it sort of tells me at the lower end of this market, you'll need to do the 530 at the first half of the year, the 535 at the second half of the year, and then this time, you know, in six months' time, it'll have to be the, the 540. I'll probably skip 40 <laughs> for various reasons. It'll be the 550. And then six months after that, it'll have to be the 555. Whereas at the top end of the market, you can probably afford to go a little bit longer. And so, you know, you they have the 930 now, and next summer I expect the 940 or the 950 to be announced. But it just makes me think, actually, we might see 
more activity, ironically, in the mid-tier and the low end. I mean, I know people are desperate to see another high-end Windows phone device, and I'm sure there'll be something in the Lumia lineup before too long. Um, and while the uh, 730 and the 830 are great now, they've maybe got a little bit longer. I wonder if we won't see, uh, you know, something akin to the uh, a 635 one. By then it might be a 640 or 650, you know, at MWC or something like that to kind of reposition everything. Because suddenly you look at this 535 and you go, hmm, really the next device that I, I would consider a proper upgrade is the 735. And even then that's a little bit questionable. I mean, the 830 is really the one that's a significant step up and that's you know that's obviously a big cost leap but really really quite impressive i'm looking forward to getting my hands on this it's probably worth pointing out that as you would expect for a device like this it's going to be aimed at kind of key markets first it's going to go into uh, china hong kong and Bangladesh in the next few weeks it won't arrive in the uk and other western european markets until uh, quarter one next year that probably means january or february i think the attention on all of the western markets and they'll be pushing the 735 the 8.30 and, and the 9.30 with the 5.30 kind of being the stocking filler option. Um, and presumably there's maybe production run issues that make sense to push you know, this 5.35 into other markets. But really, if you're looking for an entry level Windows phone, look no further. And it just makes the, the job of all those other non-Microsoft manufacturers of, of which things like uh, the Yes Billy, the Kaboom and Arcos and 10 or so others have now got an even harder job making uh, a device, you know, stand out from the crowd. Because the 535 is um, very impressive indeed for, you know, for its combination of price and features. Yeah, you can see why uh, Sony uh, in the Android world was astonishing people by coming out with a new device, a new flagship every six months. And that really is the pace of the mobile industry that you almost have to be on a six monthly cycle just to keep abreast with what you want Absolutely. to do. Yeah. Um, go, Karen. Uh, I was going to say, it just makes me wonder whether we'll ever get to the point where effectively you have uh, the internals of a model upgraded halfway through its life cycle rather than changing the name. I mean, it's kind of interesting that HTC have almost done this sort of thing where they've had announced a model and then they announced various variants, sometimes with a, a small change in the name or a one number difference in order to address different markets. And Lumia has almost done the same thing with something like the 730 and the 735 in terms of having dual SIM or single SIM versions and 4G or 3G versions. Obviously, it's not the case here with the 535, but we it does feel like we've got a whole bunch of models that uh, uh, in, in some ways could all share the, the same name and then just have a variant name after them. That really comes down to naming scheme and what works well. I mean, actually, I think the 535 for once is the, the logical name and it seems to fit in the right place because it is sort of saying this is the low end but it's you know, an upgrade on the 530 which is pretty much exactly right but there is that screen thing again which is uh you know for people who have been used to a four inch screen and we're looking at the 530 because of that they're going to look at the 535 and go oh no it's another one in the mold of the 625 versus 620 yeah, and it's interesting that uh, with the screen, smartphone screen aspect ratios going to 16 by 9 a few years ago, that really enabled larger screen sizes without devices being coming too, uh, too unmanageable. Back in the day, you know, we had quarter VGA, everything was uh, 4 by 3. And of course, if you scale that up, the, the smartphone 
the width of the smartphone becomes completely untenable, whereas these devices with a five-inch screen diagonally, um, look at the 830 in my hand now, and it really is very, very handleable, and I haven't got large hands, so you can absolutely, I think this is a sweet spot, but do go and look at the news story if you're listening to this, and it contains the specifications and some more quotes, comments, and also some promo videos from Microsoft. Um, just on that subject of the name, Rafe, perhaps we can finish with a bit of discussion on, if you imagine the, the shop shelves, um, <laughs> Samsung, Apple, Sony and so forth, and then Microsoft. What do you think the man in the street, I mean, I know we're based in the UK, we can only look at it from a UK perspective, but what will the, the UK man in the street think when he, he looks on the shelves? Will he see the, 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 the tiles, the live tiles, the Windows Phone interface and think, oh yes, that's Windows Phone, I've been eyeing that up for a while, I'll go for that. Do you think he's even going to notice the fact that Nokia has now been displaced by Microsoft and will it make a difference? I want to say yes, of course he will, because I'm noticing and I'm sort of <laughs> shedding a tear. But when you talk to a few people, they go, oh, that's the Microsoft device, or that's the, the Nokia device, or that's the Lumia device. So I think some of those have become interchangeable. I haven't seen any particular surveys about this, but I'm pretty sure there's a reason in the last year or so we've seen more mention of Lumia in the kind of the branding and in the marketing campaigns than anything else. And actually, most recently, we've seen Microsoft come in a lot more in the idea of Windows. And so that's sort of naturally been seeded. I, I think it's tempting for people who are in the mobile world and particularly those who listen to this podcast who, who might have traditionally been identified themselves as Nokia fans or at least a Nokia loyalist to sort of go, of course, I'm going to notice everyone's going to be horrified by this. Um, but the, I don't think the Nokia name was quite what it once was. And I think over and beyond that, you know, the Microsoft name is still pretty strong. And those that really care about this stuff is actually going to know that the Microsoft device is, is the Nokia device and it's being made by the same people. Um, sort of the broader question is, you know, how will Microsoft as a, a mobile phone manufacturer brand stand up against some of the others? You know, because Microsoft is very well known, but that can be, I think, both a blessing and a curse. Those of a certain generation will remember all the monopoly battles and Microsoft as kind of the evil empire and uh, replacing the middle S of the name with a dollar sign. And there's a certain amount of toxicity to that brand. I think I've described it but that way before. Um, I think you could probably say the same thing about each of the brands. You know, some people won't like Samsung or Motorola. You know, certain people will associate Motorola with, you know, the sort of annoying flip phones or the not very cool branding but actually it's probably a bit unfair particularly when you look at something like the motorola g and the e which are actually very very good mid-tier devices and of course apple has a lot of brand cachet then you look at something like sony you know and you can draw any length of time you go back and that's got you know stood for high quality you know, professional japanese engineering uh, and i think they probably tried to reinforce that but there was a period where it wasn't a particularly brilliant uh, phone brand when it maybe lost its way a little bit and going through the whole Sony Ericsson era, although some of those devices are actually fantastic. Fond memories of the T68i and the P800 and devices like that. Um, so uh, honestly, it, I, it's difficult for me to say because I'm so deeply enmeshed and have my own views on it. They're trying to step back and say, what will the man on the street think? I don't know, but I have noticed a lot of people showing more interest in Windows phone device. And I think the, the tiles and the colors have become quite heavily associated with it. And actually the, the Nokia name has kind of shrunk to the back a little bit. And if anything, people talk about the Lumia devices or, oh yes, that's the Windows phone device, or maybe even a reference to Microsoft. So I, I think there will be plenty of noise in the media about it. I think plenty of traditional phone geeks will sort of grumble about it, but I'm not actually sure it's going to have that much of an impact 
um, in the UK at least, in, in, in the way it's perceived by the average person on the street. But uh, I'm not an expert in this. I don't have any data set to look at. Um, I do know in some markets, I think it would be a bigger impact where the Nokia name is kind of better known, where Nokia didn't kind of disappear to nothing in smartphones because SIM universities held around a bit longer. I mean, Italy and Europe's maybe an example of that. You could probably go to some of the Asian markets and, and see that. But I don't know. I mean, have you got a viewpoint on this? Have you got any anecdotes you can share with us, Steve? <laughs> I, I think I agree with you. Certainly in the UK, I don't think it'll make that much difference at all. Um, the, the UK market is is pretty high end across the board, but uh, in other markets, where as you say, they've got Nokia features, still Nokia branded feature phones, the Asher range. Um, you've got some old Symbian devices still hanging around. You've got uh, the, the, these, the Nokia branded Windows phones, which have been rolling out this year. They'll be rolling out over still throughout 2015 and still actively sold. And of course, in tw- uh, at the start of 2016, January the 1st, 2016, Nokia, the company separate from Microsoft, can start using the Nokia name on a new range of smartphones uh, made with the, with the what would then be the, the the original Nokia name. So we could then end up, end up having a complete continuum of confusion across all the different markets and all the different timeframes. So uh, I don't, it, it's, it'll all come out in the wash, Rafe. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the bigger question, is um, assuming that uh, Nokia got back into phones, and I don't necessarily mean Nokia directly themselves, they could well choose to license it to another company who could then produce kind of cheap Android devices and maybe put a bit of money behind the marketing. And I'm sure there's uh, all sorts of things around comeback marketing. But, you know, given that Microsoft have a, basically a little bit longer to establish this brand and Microsoft, can they tie in the colours and the Lumia name such that, by the time that option for Nokia to come back in whatever form it would be, would there be enough significant kind of brand liquidity or or asset left to make it worthwhile or would it, you know, damage Windows Phone in some way? It's hard to see that being really significant apart from, as I say, maybe traditional phone owners. On the other hand, you think about the Nokia name, what it means to people now, and actually it's things like the uh, the countdown memo, I mean, the, the 3210 and the indestructible phone is still very much alive, and that's very heavily associated with the Nokia name, which really will now have no connection to the Lumia devices, although in effect they are the closest descendants because it is the same teams producing them, it's the same labs that they'll be testing them in, and kind of that same ex- hard-won experience is really going into the, the Lumia devices. Now, I mean, you could be a bit cynical about this and say that a lot of people who who did make those devices no longer work for Nokia, and certainly the whole round of redundancies and all of that means it, it's not really the same teams. But if you're going to be drawing a direct ancestry, actually, you know, Lumia phones are, you know, the direct descendants of the Nokia phones of old. Um, but that's there, there is going to kind of be this cut because of this name and marketing change. I honestly, though, think it's probably not that significant when we think about the number of devices being shipped over also 10 million Windows phone devices in the last quarter. I think for the majority of people, if they're aware of it at all, um, they'll kind of, they'll know the story. And those who aren't aware of it will probably associate it more with the Lumia and the Microsoft and the Windows name as much as anything. But uh, yeah, I'd love to hear some other opinions on this. I think it's very easy to be quite negative about this but you kind of have to put up some data and say you know why it's going to be like that and i sort of put my hand up and say i haven't really got any data or insight to offer a particularly positive view but i think you can be pretty sure that um, the various microsoft 
marketing and sales teams around the world would have looked at this very carefully. And I suspect given that they could have kept on using the name for a bit longer, they've been very deliberate in the way they've done this and they've chosen to switch at one particular point. They have been quite deliberate in the way they've changed the marketing and you're seeing all the changes on, on social media. I noticed uh, Nokia Conversations is switching over to Lumia Conversations and all the stuff associated with that, you know, all, all going in one big bang. Um, it's just going to be a bit weird that you are going to continue to have Nokia branded devices being sold, you know, not least the 830, which is a real cracker of a device, I think. And even going back to some of the, you know, the 53535, 535, there's only five numbers difference, but one's Microsoft and one's Nokia. Yeah, of course. Um, throughout 2015, if Microsoft don't produce another killer fla- uh, flagship camera phones in a flash, I could still be using a Nokia branded device in my it- beloved 1020, which will carry on and on and on. Anyway. I'm pretty sure we're going to see a flagship device with the launch of Windows 10, which is sort of the, I guess, spring, March, April time. Um, whether that's the, the 935, the 950 or, or something else, whether 10, we'll 30. see a, you know, a 1030 <laughs> as Steve is hoping and think praying for it's fair to say, I, I, I honestly don't know, but, um, it will be interesting to see whether that also has an impact. I, I think in some ways producing a halo device, just as the 1020 was kind of iconic in all the marketing and that yellow color and that camera module on the back, it would really be helpful to do something similar again, but obviously have it associated with the Microsoft name, and the Lumia name, and kind of you know, clear all that out, reestablish it. it uh, I guess that would be a marketing led strategy and perhaps you actually need to think about it a bit more broadly than that but nonetheless um this is the first of i i have no doubt at all many microsoft branded lumia devices and tis the end of an era and so and the 530 is where the change happened i can tell you you really are tearing up there eh? i am <laughs> um, before we finish i i'll read out half a dozen of the uh, flow stories that i covered this week and maybe you can just pick one one of the six that you, you fancy making a comment about uh, link uh, microsoft link which is uh, part of one of the extended office suite is to be reworked as skype for business rather unsurprisingly as soon as microsoft bought skype so the writing was kind of on the cards uh, nokia reading app is being withdrawn i was rather sadly i was always rather fond of that as an ebook reader in a way of uh, reading pdf files in particular um, Photomath, uh, an application that's been touted around the uh, Windows Phone blogosphere, but I found absolutely zero practical use, and it didn't do anything for me whatsoever, but uh, do read my uh, flow story for why. Picture, S, Picture X is a new uh, cross-platform uh, piece of software that lets people uh, share photos from events with each other in a really rather nice way. It's, but it is freemium. There is some cost involved, but it's all implemented rather cleverly, so do go and look at that. And finally, um, CBS News, um, which is a, and obviously an American news organization that has a, an official Windows phone app with live TV and video highlights. And it's available all to anyone across the world without any of these nasty regional restrictions. So uh, any of those you fancy commenting on, Rafe? You well, pick I one. Gonna, I was just going to have a little sniff about Nokia reading as well, because this is one of the apps I installed. And while I didn't actually buy books through it, well, I bought a couple um, in years back. I did use it kind of as a reader. There are some good alternatives available on the Windows phone source if you're looking to buy books you're probably going to be looking at amazon kindle or the kobo reader but frida's a, a really great third party ebook reader as well and there's a, a couple of others so that's the the one that i would i would probably uh, pick out um you know the link story is kind of interesting but like you say somewhat inevitable and uh the photo mass yeah really clever use of technology but unless you're looking to cheat in your mass homework uh, it's <laughs> hard to hard to get terribly excited about it but i do want to just pick out one you didn't mention which was all of uh, microsoft's msn applications that's things like news weather health travel 
have been updated and you can now install onto the memory card. You've described them as being SD compatible, quite rightly, in the news story. Uh, I was never terribly appreciative of this particular ability until I was using a device with just eight gigabytes of internal storage and therefore I put a micro SD card in it and was able to install apps onto it. And so having that, especially for these apps, which some of them you know, get into the 10 or 20 megabyte size or more by the time they're installed and storing uh, data, I actually really appreciate this because it means I can keep more free on the internal disk. And there are still some apps that will only install on the internal memory, things like banking apps, presumably because they're worried about security without any particular reason to be so, or developers have just opted for performance reasons to be in that internal memory. But for those uh, MSN apps, there was, there was no reason. So a welcome update. And I don't know if you've got them installed, especially if you're on a low memory device, those with four gigabytes of internal memory, for example, you might want to opt to uh, uninstall those and uh, then reinstall them, but on the memory card this time around, just to free up a bit of extra internal memory. So for things that, you know, won't go onto the internal memory, uh, won't go onto an SD card, it's always good to have that. So uh, just pick that out as a, a flow story of interest. And having gone over a number of these stories and proved to Rafe that I'm worth the beer money, I think we should uh, sign off for this week, Rafe, and say we'll hopefully catch you all next week. Goodbye from me. Yes, and goodbye from me. We'll return uh, next week to talk about some more things. I'm hoping by then I'll be able to share some thoughts on actually having tried out some of the new devices we've been uh, talking about in the last few weeks. Also talk about having seen uh, some of the uh, new non-Lumia Windows phone devices at an event recently. Share some thoughts on that and... Uh, some news on when they might arrive in the UK market at least. But that's all for the uh, the next podcast. And until then, it's a very goodbye for me and thanks for listening.